Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Intelligence Squared Business Weekly. I'm Connor Boyle. We're in the midst of a climate emergency and businesses, large and small, need to be part of the solution. Today, we're looking at how companies can do more with Christian Ron, CEO of Normative. According to recent analysis by the Washington Post, the deficit in underreported global greenhouse gas emissions sits at around 8.5 billion to 13.3 billion tonnes per year. It means we could all do with a little bit of better understanding of our precise contribution to climate change. Therefore, the concept of carbon accounting, keeping track of your company's impact on the environment, is becoming an ever more essential component of the entrepreneurial landscape. Our guest this week is Christian Ron, CEO and co-founder of Normative. The startup provides science-based carbon accounting software for businesses, and it's the official software provider of the UN-backed SME Climate Hub initiative. Christian co-founded Normative in 2013 while working at Oxford University studying climate change. Today's host is the economist and broadcaster Linda Yu, and here's Linda with more. Welcome to Intelligence Squared, Christian. Lots of people talk about it, but not everyone can make a business out of an idea. So firstly, tell me how you did it. That is a great question. I don't know if how I did it represents, you know, the typical startup journey. What what I did essentially is that I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur. Uh, I thought I would do a career in academia, doing research on global risks and how to mitigate global risks. But I kind of came to the entrepreneurial journey out of necessity. So I felt like... I didn't know, do enough for climate change in particular. So I started to look at the problem from a top-down point of view. Um, like a big, big chunk of, or, or I mean, almost all of, of, you know, the carbon emissions that we see today come from companies. So even if you have governments that are essentially meeting at the COP, UN COP summits uh, every, every year, it's the companies within the jurisdictions of the governments that needs to to reduce their emissions. So I looked at it from a top-down perspective. Like, do companies actually track their CO2 emissions? Do we have reliable tools for them to do so? And uh, turned out that that wasn't the case. So I felt like, all right, if, if we don't have the tools, then then I need to, to go and, and build them uh, myself. So that's how I came to, to start the company in the first place. And uh, uh, that was eight years ago. And I mean, the first years was just about you know, convincing the market that 
that this has to be done. So we, we grew very, very slowly for, for the first couple of, of years. But then uh, I think, you know, eventually the, the market catched up. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't give you all of the details of, of the entrepreneurial journey, but at least a little bit of a background. What kind of challenges did you meet when first starting out? And what is still something of an emerging field in business? I think this is a common thing, right? I mean, you usually start with slideware. So you kind of decide what, what is it that your product wants to do? You go out and you speak to clients, like, is there a need here? And when I went out and spoke to clients, it turned out that, you know, the need wasn't that big at that point in time because nobody was thinking about carbon accounting. So instead, I had the perspective of what, what is it that companies actually need to do in order to have reliable accounting and, and looked at the standards that were out there, such as the greenhouse gas protocol. Like, how can we build a product that makes the production of carbon disclosures as reliable as, as the, the, financial numbers in, in your PNL. And, and based on that, I, I drafted an architecture. I actually had coding experience. So I started to build it myself, but then also built the slides on, you know, what, what is the product supposed to look like? What went out there and, and presented it to people, but you know, people, the companies that I talked to actually had no, no clue what I was talking about, which made it even more essential to, you know, kind of not dumb it down, but make the messaging really crisp about how this is related to, you know, their, their bottom line and de-risking their, their value chain and their operations. So I had very much like an iterative approach working together with uh, potential clients and, you know, presenting the product and then, you know, eventually starting to code more and more things into features when, when we got our first clients. But that was actually like three years later that we that we got our first uh, first paying client, and at that point in time, it was like you know it, it was you know pr pretty amazing to be able to have that that first client. So yeah, but you know here here we are a, a few years later, and I think you know if you take the later stage, so I think that is the seed stage. You have to build a lot of things yourself, and. Uh, try to iterate with your clients as much as possible to make sure you're solving their needs or, or in, in our case, solving a, a societal problem, which will become a need eventually. But then after we managed to get the first clients, then we could go out there and actually try and close the seed round and investment round because it's obviously very helpful to show that you have some tractions in terms of paying clients. Uh, so we closed that, but after doing so, like, you know, we, we had our next challenge, which was to build a, a great team and, and to scale that team. And I think a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs are doing is that they have a hard time letting things go. I think I fit into that category at, at first as well. I mean, obviously, you know best because you created a product. But what needs to be top of your mind when you woke, wake up every day, if you want to build a scalable organization is how do I empower my team uh, to actually get the job done? Uh, and that was a little bit of a shift in, in mindset for me to, that took some, some time to, to, to discover and really prioritizing getting like top talent on board and empowering them to learn the things that they have to learn in, in order to build a great business together. 
So just tell me why you think, why you believe technology in combination with accounting can be the solution to the climate crisis. I think it's a matter of priorities. If you look at accounting throughout history, it has always been a reflection of what we value in society, essentially. I mean, if you look at the first ways of accounting for things back in Roman times, I mean, it was essentially just a tax collector uh, walking into your farm, counting the number of animals, the goats and, and the cattle that you had, and maybe the, you know, hectares of, of land that you owned uh, for taxation. But as trade become more widespread, we had to update our way of accounting. I mean, essentially we were buying you know, goods and services, for instance, merchants in, in, in Venice many hundreds of years ago were buying goods and services from all sorts of places and then selling them to other places. So then we had to update our way to accounting of, of accounting for, for value by introducing double entry bookkeeping. But I think the takeaway from the 21st and 20th century experience is that the way we account for things with double entry bookkeeping that is producing your regular profit and loss statement doesn't fully capture all of the things that we value. I mean, we have all of these externalities. We have the emission of greenhouse gases that leads to climate change. We're facing the biggest species extinction the world has, has ever seen. So in order to fully capture that value, we need to update our way to, of, of accounting for things. And right now we're in a really good place. I mean, we're in a place where you have, for instance, just last year uh, at COMP26, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero are, are saying, you know, a bunch of investors are saying, we're going to put 130 trillion US dollars into net zero and fighting climate change. But in order for all of those trillions to be allocated effectively, we need to have a rigorous way of accounting for which companies are successful in their net zero commitments, which, which companies are, are actually reducing em their emissions, and, and can we trust that? And right now it's a little bit, you know, the situation where the carbon accounts is a bit equivalent to handing in your financial statement on, on, on a napkin. You can't really compare apples to apples between legal entities. So you have a huge problem and a huge risk of, of greenwashing unless we can create a, a standard way to, to account for, for carbon emissions. Otherwise that, you know, those trillions and you know, of, of dollars are not going to be allocated effectively to actually uh, fight the fight that we need to to win over over the next decades in order to to be well below 1.5 degrees. Your company works with Google engineers to calculate a company's environmental footprint by analyzing all their transactions, including energy bills, business travel, raw material purchases, and many other small items. So just explain, how do you calculate the carbon emissions from these transactions? So the, the way we do it is that we read the data from the ERP systems of our clients. So that could, for instance, be all of the business transactions, all of the spend-based data, uh, but it could also be if they have more detailed records, such as bill of materials, we can go in, into a much more detailed level. But the important thing about starting with spend-based data is that you can essentially assure the completeness of scope. 
Right now, we're in a situation where a lot of companies that disclose their carbon emissions are only accounting for a small subset of their emissions. Some might only be uh, accounting for for electricity because it's easy to do. Some might only be accounting for transport or or travel. But our approach is, if it is in your PNL cost base, then you should upload those transactions into our platform. So then we can at least estimate the carbon footprint from everything, you know, everything from purchase of concrete to business travel to leasing of vehicles. It doesn't matter what it is. We can at least give a first order estimate or a so-called hotspot analysis. Then once that hotspot analysis is done, we ask businesses, can you actually get some more high resolution data? So for instance, telling us, this particular particular energy supplier uh, that you spent money on, is that renewable electricity or not? So, so that could, for instance, be a follow-up question. Or if you booked you know, travel from a travel agency, you might not be able to see from the transaction alone, was this rail, was this a flight? So those are the kinds of follow-up questions that we would do. Then step three, this is the, this is the important step, and this is quite crucial to crack in order to make progress on the climate crisis. And that is actually engaging your value chain. Because in our experience, like the, an average company, over 90% of their emissions is actually not within their operations, but it's in their supply chain value chain. So in order to go towards net zero, you, it's absolutely crucial um, that you engage them. So that, that is one of the things that we're doing with the Google.org fellowship uh, and working together with Google, where we're building the infrastructure for value chain engagement. And that also ties into the work that we're doing with the UN Race to Zero campaign and the SME Climate Hub. Typically, what you see is that the companies in the value chain, they might be small, medium-sized enterprises and and get started on, on accounting their emissions and for them to get started on, on net zero emissions journeys is, is quite complicated. So we're trying to make it as simple as possible for the large corporates to account for their emissions, but also crucially to engage their value chain and make it easy for them as well. agreed sort of carbon footprint for every transaction? Not not internationally speaking. There are no agreed upon standards for, for how to convert spend-based data or ERP systems data into a carbon footprint. What we have right now is a 20-year-old standard called the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. The problems with that standard is, first of all, what I mentioned earlier, there, there is no mechanism in place to ensure completeness of scope. Are you actually accounting for everything, both in your operations in, and in your value chain? And there are also no standards on what so-called emission factors to apply given a, ver a, a certain spend. So I mean, when you do the spend-based analysis, unless you have the data directly from the value chain, you need to use some, some averages. And there are no international standards on what averages to use. 
that is why the service that we're providing is so important. And I mean, we're primarily a software company, but we also work on trying to create standards for, for how to do this. Uh, so you will actually have comparability across companies because that is what both consumers need uh, in, in order to make sustainable choices. That is what investors need in, in order to know what businesses to invest in and, and de-risk their portfolios. I find that really interesting because if there's no agreed standards and companies using different standards of accounting, they may or may not be accounting for things accurately. So I can completely see how this is both a standards issue and an accounting issue. But as you mentioned, you started your business in 2014. You didn't get your first customer until three years later. But in terms of going further down this road, when a company uses, say, a supplier or distributor, they don't own that company. They're using that company or that contractor instead. How hard is it to persuade those companies, which could be very small, like you said, to actually do this kind of record keeping? It depends on what relationship you have with your suppliers and your value chain, obviously. But I think it's important to use the carrot and not the whip. I mean, the advantages of, of having a clear net zero commitment is big. And if you as a large company have the standpoint that I'm actually here to help my value chain, I'm here to help them take a net zero commitment, I'm here to help them and, and give them the tools that they need and the knowledge they need to account for emissions. But I'm also here to help them explain what the advantages are. I mean, it is a huge differentiator uh, compared to uh, competitors. If you have, you know, a, a net zero commitment that, you know, and, and you're a part of the UN Race to Zero campaign and, and you're doing the right things in, in, in order to remove your emissions. And I think... In the end of the day, if you look at the, the carbon accounts, the, the value chain scope three carbon accounts of large companies, I think that is a huge hidden cost that doesn't show up in their PL. It's a huge cost in the sense that it is almost a logical certainty that in order to mitigate climate change and mitigate that risk, the price of carbon needs to go up. And, you know, almost no businesses have, have any clue of, uh, you know, what, what will happen when the, you know, real price of, of carbon will kind of converge towards the, the social cost of carbon that we're all paying to get today because of, of climate change and, and, and famines and uh, extreme weather events, uh, etc. So, so I think that is a huge cost that will you know, are starting to begin to, to materialize. So, so you need to be ready for that uh, transition in order to stay relevant uh, in, in the next coming decades. So, so, I, so I think, I mean, it, it can be done. I mean, we know that, that it can be done, but I, I think you need to, you know, educate, educate the, the businesses in, in your value chain to make it happen. And you need to take a stance as a company and be brave enough to say that you know we have a clear target on on decarbonizing our our value chain i want to talk a bit about perhaps involuntary greenwashing corporate greenwashing is when people are looking at a company and thinking you're saying you're doing things for the environment but are you really doing things so 
Just talk to me about firms that sign up for your software. What if they think that's enough? I signed up for Christian's accounting software. I think the word involuntary greenwashing is is really interesting here. That is something that we talk a lot about. And the main source of involuntary greenwashing is usually lack of knowledge and lack of standardization. So what typically happens to a lot of businesses is they account for a subset of their greenhouse gas emissions. And of of course, you know, accounting for something is, is better than accounting for nothing. But the problem is that all of a sudden you don't have comparable numbers. So there was this report, for, for instance, recently, and, and it was, uh, I think it was just a few days ago, covered by, by the BBC and, and, and a few other outlets looking at 25 really large companies that are accounting for their greenhouse gas emissions and looking at their net zero targets and to, to what extent those net zero targets hold up. Uh, and it turns out that almost all of those net zero targets were very much overstated in the sense that they said, you know, we are going net zero, but actually they said we are going net zero on carbon accounts that only includes emissions in our own operations and doesn't include emissions in the value chain. So then you're essentially involuntarily greenwashing because, I mean, you you thought that you accounted for everything, but actually you just accounted for a subset and then you publicly announced a, a target uh, around that. So I think that that is like, that that is very common and i think on on the other side of 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 things there's also this concept of carbon neutrality and going carbon neutral a lot of companies are 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 announcing that as well and those things can be compounding so essentially what you're saying when you go carbon neutral is okay i'm going to account for my greenhouse gas emissions based on that accounting baseline i'm going to invest in offsets to essentially offset those emissions but as it turns out, and, and there is, you know, what's this European Commission sponsored study from a few years ago? Like, if you look at the offset market, in this case specifically under the UN Clean Development Mechanism, CDM, like 85% of all of the projects that companies invested in failed to actually reduce emissions. And I mean, like, most businesses don't know about that. They, they think that they have accounted for their full emissions and they think they then later on invest in offsets that reduce emissions. But you see report after report showing that that, that is not the case. And all of that is entirely involuntary, but it's entirely preventable as well. If you just have the right accounting solutions out there and get the right guidance in order to, to go towards net zero. And, and again, going back to the you know, over 100 trillion that needs to be distributed from non-sustainable to sustainable companies, to put that in perspective, the world GDP is around 80 trillion. So it's like the biggest, you know, shift of capital like pretty much in 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 history and and we need like solid data and solid standards in 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 order for that capital to be deployed effectively and and that is you know what what we're very passionate about at at normative in in trying to to fix that problem it's been really interesting christian and i've just got one more topic i'd love to get your thoughts on which is esg environmental, social, and governance. This is very much on investors' minds. 
So tell me about the dangers of an unregulated ESG and offsetting industry. I think the dangers are very similar to the dangers of not having standardized carbon accounting. Obviously, carbon and carbon accounting is, is a subset of, of the whole ESG market. And it's a market that is booming. I mean, it, I think it grew by 15% just in the, in the last two years. But as, as you said, the fact that it is completely unregulated is not good at all. And I think it is misleading a lot of investors. And it's again back to standardization. So just you know, to give you an example, take MSCI, for instance. They're one of the biggest players in the space. And they're not like alone in, in that problem. If you look at you know, the 150 or so companies that got their ESG rating upgraded. If you look under the hood, only actually one of them got it upgraded through emissions reductions. So the whole ESG market is very problematic because it doesn't really kind of correlate with sustainability outcomes. And there is also a, an overall issue in, in, in the market, the ESG market. Uh, there's this like obsession on, on focusing or trying to prove that you know our particular ESG related metrics lead to higher return of investments, and th this is obviously something that you should be very much focused around. But what happens again and again is that the definitions that these e ESG rating agencies use or the weights that they use change over over time. So instead of you know, sticking with a clear definition and a clear understanding of sustainability and, and externalities, it is a little bit of a, a black box that doesn't seem to be very much correlated with carbon reduction and sustainability uh, outcomes. Thank you very much to Christian Rohn, CEO of Normative, a Swedish fintech that is helping companies account for all of their emissions. You've been listening to Intelligence Squared Business Weekly. I'm Linda Yu. Thank you for tuning in.